just a couple of notices uh, for us this morning. You see on the, the bulletin, this uh, service is part of the week of prayer for Christian unity. This is an annual, annual week. Uh, at the start of the year, we uh, pray for our brothers and sisters in other churches, uh, different congregations, other uh, denominations. There's uh, some events happening around uh, West Bridgeford. Some have already had some are yet to come. Uh, this afternoon at uh, half past five, uh, there's a service in Luttrell Hall, the old uh, church hall just across the way there. That's a united service. Uh, members of all different churches gathering together to pray uh, for one another, to hear news of what each other are getting up to. So I commend that to you. I think we've got 5.15 uh, in the bulletin, but if you get there for 5.15, it won't start till uh, 5.30. Uh, so you're welcome to join us for that. And again, as part of uh, this week of prayer, our morning prayer this coming Tuesday at 9.15, we're going to expand that slightly. So welcoming uh, Christians from other churches and we'll have uh, tea and coffee at that as well. So if that's, that's a prayer meeting you kind of think about coming to or get to now and again, uh, do come this Tuesday and uh, make that a special date in your diary. Um, you'll see too, uh, we've got some books over there, a little bookstore. Uh, that's been all organised by Cameron uh, Darkin Price, one of our young people. Uh, he's going on Emmanuel's school trip um, where they're meeting with one of their partner, ch- partner schools um, in Ghana, uh, a school that they support. He's going as part of that mission trip and he's raising funds for that. So there's some, um, some uh, novels over there for you to peruse and uh, all the funds from that uh, will go to support him. Um, that's all my notices. Have you got any other notices? No? Okay, let's hear God's word then. Thank you, Lee. That's better. Um, this morning's reading is taken from the uh, second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Chapter 5, verses 14 to 20, and that's on page 1161 of the Pew Bibles. 1161. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
let's just take a moment to be still. Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As Lee has said, from last Wednesday until this coming Wednesday, followers of Jesus throughout the world, and we here in West Bridgeford, not only St. Giles, but the other churches within our town, are marking the 2017 week of prayer for Christian unity. And we've had several gatherings already, and we've got the one in Lateral Hall this afternoon, and we'll gather here on Tuesday morning at 9.15 for morning prayer, an expanded morning prayer, as Lee said. Do please join us for one of those two, or both if you can. There is nothing more important that we do as Christians than to speak with our God and listen to our God in prayer. This morning, we've heard Paul writing to the new Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. As in each of his letters, um, it's written um, no more than three decades after Jesus' death. He's addressing a community of extremely new Christians to those people who have recently come to follow Jesus' example in living their lives. And these Christians in Corinth um, would perhaps, we can infer from what Paul says in this letter and in the first letter too, they, um, we think they, they may have had a, a particular characteristic, if you like, or set of characteristics given the city that they lived in. Um, Corinth um, had been a great Greek city-state um, in classical times, a, a rival to Athens or to, or to Sparta. Um, but the Romans, as part of their establishment of control over Greece, they had razed the city to the ground in uh, about 150 BC. And it took a century or so for them to decide that the political situation was stable enough that they could rebuild the city safely again. And so it was refounded in 44 BC. Um, and the Romans wanted it to become a thriving centre, and so they said that uh, freed slaves from throughout the Roman Empire could go to Corinth and be given um, particular privileges there. Um, and so it developed into a very cosmopolitan centre, a, a real melting pot of different cultures, um, perhaps um, colourful, it might be a, a good way of putting it, uh, diplomatically, um, but we, we understand that um, it had a certain uh, richness, a certain flavour to it as a community. Um, and I think that uh, we can infer that the Christians in Corinth, given that they would have come, that they would have been newly converted from that, from that sort of background... Um, they undoubtedly would have had some of those, those characteristics, if you like, colourful characters, a real um, diversity of individuals and, and backstories. It seems as though, even though they are very precious to Paul, these, this new group of believers, as he makes clear in both of his letters, 
um, that they uh, that they maybe were not uh, uh, perhaps as, as as model individuals as some of the other indiv- uh, some of the other Christians in other cities to whom he's writing. It appears from what Paul says that they were maybe prone to um, fragment, um, perhaps into some of the ethnic groupings that they came from originally, um, perhaps uh, following uh, erroneous beliefs. Um, we see from, from some of what Paul says that they have a tendency to, to spin off and follow teaching that is not centred fully on Christ in the way that Paul has previously taught them. Paul refers to this sort of behaviour from the new believers partway through this morning's reading. He says in verse 16, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. I'll come back in a moment to what Paul was writing to the Corinthians about what they uh, should indeed be doing from now on. But I think it's important for us to start by realising that Paul is warning these Christians that the way in which they were thinking about themselves and about others and behaving between themselves and towards others, if it's in the same way as those who are not Christians treat others, that that is wrong. If they're living, as Paul writes in verse 15, for themselves, that is wrong. Paul acknowledges too that this is precisely the way that he, before his conversion, had behaved. But now he affirms that this is not what Christians are called to do. It was no longer how he lived his life. It was not how the Corinthian believers then were called to live live their lives. And it's not how we today, as Christians in the 21st century, are called to live our lives. And this is because the love of God in Jesus for each one of us was and is so complete that he was prepared to die on the cross that we might have eternal life rather than be condemned for our sins. Because of this, Paul tells the Corinthians, each one of us is compelled to extend this same love to others. We are compelled to extend that love to others. We read in verses 19 and 20 that God has reconciled the world to himself in the person of Jesus. That even though each one of us, as we say in our prayer of confession before we take communion, even though each one of us has sinned against God and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, God has still reached out to us through the person of Jesus. And he has called us back to be united with him. God calls us back home. And so this is the message that Paul implores, that's the word he used, implores the Corinthians to follow. 
what God has done for us in the person of Jesus is so utterly astounding that surely we cannot help but be united in and through the person of Jesus with our loving Father once again. Through Jesus, no longer does the world's logic of the fall hold sway. God's creation of the first chapters of Genesis, from which man has turned away through sin, is renewed in the person of Jesus. If we accept him into our lives as our Lord and Saviour, then the perfection of that initial creation is restored in us. We are, in Christ, as Paul tells us, a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. What then of this reconciliation and this unity? Why, perhaps, does Paul place such emphasis on them in his instructions to the Corinthians about how to live their lives in their new Christian faith? Well, I think this is perhaps because there is so much disunity in our world that it's so easy to fall into discord between ourselves, amongst ourselves and others. It's often our first reflex to point out that they are wrong and we are right. It seems to be human instinct to react to difficult situations, to differences of view, to differences of personality in exactly this way. Once again, I find myself preaching on a Sunday almost immediately after a major controversial political event. And yet again, I have to refer back to the sense of deep and raw division across much of our world, of nations and ethnicities and sexes and socioeconomic groups profoundly divided on many, many significant issues. And Paul's message to us is that without Jesus... This division is the human condition. But it's not how God designed us to be. That's the great news. It's not how he created humanity. We are made in God's image. But evil has entered into creation and corrupted our natures. Without being reconciled to God we'll continue along this path of division and disunity and the pain and the death that will inevitably and ultimately follow. We're seeing that some of our global leaders even create an impression of more division, even if it isn't there, so that they themselves can can try and fill that gap. They can somehow step in as the saviour of their people. But that won't work. Because we know that the only way in which true and deep and long-lasting, even eternal reconciliation can ever occur is through and in the person of Jesus Christ.
Because only in Jesus, God has given us the way to break this cycle of division and of disunity. Paul tells us in reconciling him, in reconciling us to him once again in Christ, God no longer counts people's sins against them. Jesus has taken all of my sins and all of your sins onto himself. So if we're to share this same reconciliation, which the love of Jesus for us is so overwhelmingly strong that we are compelled to do, we too mustn't count others' sins against us. Absolutely fundamental to this reconciliation, of course, is forgiveness. Forgiveness can never be to act as if past hurt didn't happen. Once something's been done, it can never be undone. But it's saying to one another that even though you have hurt me and I continue to feel the pain, I choose no longer to hold that pain you have inflicted on me against you. I choose to extend the same forgiveness to you in and through Jesus Christ that God has extended to me through Jesus also. Not thanks to anything that we have done, but entirely through his grace. And Paul knows the power of the Corinthians behaving in this way, the power of the witness of any Christian behaving in this way, the power of our witness as a community, as the worldwide community of Christians, if we behave in this way. Jesus is absolutely clear at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. As he says, by their fruit you shall recognize them. If we behave differently from the world, if we are unified, if we hold out the hand of reconciliation, if we forgive, then the world will see that we are different they will see the person of Jesus in us and through us will come to know what it is to live in Christ and not to live for ourselves. This year marks the 500th anniversary of the start of the Protestant Reformation, the split of many of the churches of Western Europe at that time uh, and now much of the rest of the world, from the Roman Catholic Church of Rome and the authority of the Pope. Our own denomination, of course, the Church of England, albeit in its own rather uh, peculiar political rather than theological way in in origin, um, one of the parts of the, the church that, of course, split from Rome at that time. And, of course, um, the Reformation wasn't the first of 
splits within the church. Um, in the 11th century, the Eastern and Western churches uh, split perhaps more fundamentally. So we have the, the Orthodox tradition in the East and um, the Roman tradition and, and its successors in the West. But I think it's profoundly important that the statements that have been issued before and during this week of prayer for Christian unity by the Archbishop of Canterbury, by Pope Francis, and from other leading figures across different denominations. These statements have chosen to concentrate not on remaining differences between the various denominations, but on repentance for where we have all played a part in perpetuating divisions in the global church. And most importantly, they have focused on what we all have absolutely in common, faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, and simple trust in his redeeming power and love. Not dissimilarly, perhaps, Pope Francis has, uh, has said when, when he speaks about ecumenical matters, um, somewhat gorily, admittedly, but uh, I think importantly, he talks about an ecumenism of blood. It's all too frequent in some parts of the world today that Christians are martyred for their beliefs. Pope Francis points out that none of those who murder such believers are interested in which denomination they belong to. They don't ask, are you a Pentecostal? Are you a Catholic? Are you an Anglican? Are you Orthodox? They ask, are you Christian? And in that way, horrific though it may be, Christians of all denominations are united in the love of Christ and in their shared grief and pain. I think too, as well, of words that, uh, that our Archbishop Justin used with reference um, to the, the very thorny issue with which uh, he was confronted um, as soon as he was installed early in 2013 the ordination of women bishops. Um, Archbishop Justin acknowledging that members of the Church of England had a range of views on the matter, often through deep personal theological convictions. He spoke of the way in which the church could distinguish itself from the world in the way it dealt with such a delicate and difficult decision. He spoke of what he described as good disagreement. There were hugely differing viewpoints between which, um, at least on this side of eternity, agreement um, was likely to be, uh, to be reconciled, to be made. However, Archbishop Justin suggested that the way in which the members of the Church of England, in which we would be able to act out the love of Jesus Christ for each other in the way in which we extend that love despite our differences, that doing this through his good disagreement, this had the possibility to witness 
to wider society that the church behaves in a profoundly different and Christ-like way when confronted with situations like that. Clearly expressing our faith to the world and acting it, acting it out in how we live our lives practically and as we are doing this week in prayer is what we are called to do. It's what, as Paul said to the Corinthians of Corinth then, and he still says to us in his words now, Jesus' love for us compels us to do. I encourage as many of you as are able to join us here on Tuesday morning at 9.15 to join us in prayer, to join us in prayer for reconciliation and unity. If you can, it will be fantastic to see you. But if you will, as I imagine most of you will, be at work, maybe set the alarm on your phone for 9.15 too. Take a moment then at your desk or wherever it is you'll be working to join with us in prayer. Prayer for unity, prayer for reconciliation. And if you can't at 9.15 because you're in a meeting or whatever, set your alarm for another time in the day when you can just take five minutes and still join with us and join with Christians around the world in praying for those things. We as Christians, united in Christ, can speak out the good news that God wants to reconcile each and every one of us with him in and through the person of Jesus. His gift to us of Jesus compels us to do so. This is Paul's message that he gives to the Corinthians, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. This is the message we're called to proclaim and to put into action in our lives, not only this week, not only this year, but throughout the rest of our lives. Let each one of us be God's spirit of reconciliation between him and all of humanity in the person of Jesus, to everyone whom we encounter. I'd like to conclude with a prayer for unity that comes from a liturgy that was especially created for this week of prayer by the churches together of Britain and Ireland. Let's bow our heads. God of reconciliation, through Christ you call us to a unity that is not an option, yet we fall back tenaciously on our old ways, on conflict, division, and fractured relationships. Confront and convict us of this failure. God of unity, all that divides us from you died with Christ on the cross. We commit ourselves in the power of your spirit 
to break down our divisions and become one with each other so that Christ's name be glorified so that your kingdom may come and so that your will may be done. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.